The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And this week, alternative mortician, YouTube personality, and New York Times bestselling nonfiction author of From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death, Caitlin Doty rang me from the road to chat about changing the West's relationship to death, the challenges of running a nonprofit funeral home, and how to write a New York Times bestseller in your spare time. Caitlin's the creator of Ask a Mortician, a web series that boasts over 300,000 subscribers, and the founder of The Order of the Good Death, a nonprofit that advocates for death acceptance and an alternative to Western funeral industry practices. Her first best-selling book and memoir, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory, chronicled her experiences as a young woman working in a crematorium. Her latest, From Here to Eternity, resumes her exploration of the field to explore how other cultures care for the dead, and it's an immersive global journey that introduces compelling, powerful rituals almost entirely unknown in America. Her mission to reform the death industry has led to features on NPR, BBC, The New Yorker, Vice, The Atlantic, The New York Times, and many others. In this file, Caitlin and I discuss her strong voice for change and how that got her an agent, how a full-time mortician finds time to write best-selling books, the sense of doubt that all writers face, how her greater mission overtook her fear of writing, why writers need to be less precious about their work, the muse of death, and why you need to tweet an inspirational writing quote to Caitlin at the good death, hashtag the writer files after you listen to the show. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. All right. And we are rolling on the writer files once again. Uh, with a special guest who is joining us, uh, I believe, on book tour. 
out there in the wilds of America. Uh, New York Times bestselling author and mortician Caitlin Doty. Am I pro- pronouncing that correctly? I guess I, I didn't uh, mention that. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Yes, it's Doty Bread Dough t-shirt. Cool, cool. Um, well, thank you so much for hopping on to chat with us about um, this fantastic new book and, of course, your your writing process. Um, and the new one is uh, pretty fantastic. It's titled From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death. And um, yeah, hit the uh, New York Times bestseller list already, I believe. And you must be kind of celebrating a win with that. I am, although it's it's interesting. I was telling a couple friends that the past two days or so, I felt a little melancholy, I think because you work and work and work to write the book and then you work and work to promote the book and it comes yeah. out the first week and you're like, ah, it's a book. <laughs> and then it's almost this, this postpartum moment sure, where you're like, well, I, I did that. I did the book <laughs> and that's done now. And I guess I just keep promoting it. You know, it's, it's this moment of lull where you actually have a moment between the events and the promotion to think. Sure. And it's sort of a, it's sort of a melancholy feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Um, this book, of course, is uh, uh, probably pretty apropos for you know uh, late October release. But um, you know, I mean, it's been called an extremely funny travelogue and deeply moving book about what death means to us all. The co-founder of Atlas Obscura blurb that um, Vice said that Doty finds the humanity and other cultures' relationship with death that seems to be lacking in ours. And um, it's a really compelling read. And I actually had gone back to Smoke Gets in Your Eyes just to uh, uh, kind of catch up a little bit on, on your history and kind of where you've been. And, and maybe for listeners who aren't familiar with how uh, Mortician Caitlin Doty became a New York Times bestselling author, you could give us a little bit of kind of your, your uh, superhero origin story of how you, <laughs> how you got here and how, um, how you wrote these fantastic books. Sure. I was always really academically interested in death and the idea of death. I was a medieval history major in yeah. college at the University of Chicago. So, uh, you know, a lot of death there. And when I graduated, I didn't want to go to grad school but I didn't quite know what else I was I was going to do. And I was living in San Francisco and I decided that I wanted to see what actual death looked like and what it actually looked like behind the scenes. So I got a job at a crematory in Oakland and almost immediately it felt like, oh, this is it. This is what I'm going to be doing for mm-hmm. my life. And very quickly as well, I decided that I wanted to be an advocate for change in the industry because growing up, I never really knew a lot about death. I never really knew what went on behind the scenes, but I knew that we weren't engaged as a culture with death and with the funeral industry. It was a very, we take the body, we swoop it behind the scenes. We do whatever we do to it. You don't know. And then we bring it out to you and present the body back to you. Yeah, And it, it struck me as very strange, even when I figured out what was going on behind the scenes, it still struck me as very, as very strange and very obfuscated. And so I wanted to become a 
a public advocate for this kind of change. So I started a group called the Order of the Good Death. I started a web series. I started more of a public dialogue. And with that came an agent saying, do you want to write a book about this? And I, I had absolutely thought about writing a book about it. I had thought about writing in the initial memoir that I ended up writing, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Hmm. And so when I was contacted, it was this was 2012, I guess. It was like, yeah, let's let's get started. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah, that, that's a fascinating story and, and path to um, writing. And, you know, kind of get, get a little bit into your process a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and other lessons from the crematory, it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty interesting path. And, you know, you talk about um, kind of the medicalization of death and how, um, you know, we, we kind of have a fundamentally flawed way of looking at it, at least here in, in the West. And, um, so then the path to, from here to eternity, um, which is also a great, great novel, I believe, uh, is, uh, a pretty, pretty obvious one. And you kind of go back and then traveled the world really to kind of, um, I guess, get in touch with some of these, uh, amazing, um, rituals that other cultures use to really uh, open that space that we don't really get in touch with here as much. Right. Smoke Gets in Your Eyes is more memoir. It's about the yeah. first year that I worked in the crematory. And it's, um, it's really, it's, you know, it's kind of, it has coming of age elements. It's a 22, 23 year old girl gets thrown in behind the scenes at, at a industrial crematory. Yeah in Oakland. And it's all the things that I'm learning about the industry, all the things I'm learning about the history of American death and how we got to this sort of weird place we are now. And when that book came out and it was a success, my editor said, great, what's your next book? And I said, there is no next book. That was the <laughs> book. That was the book that I had. Um, but obviously it made sense to continue doing another book just because it had been successful. And as an advocate, my main job is getting out the message. Yeah. So if, if it's working, if the books are selling and people are reading it and people are, are taking it in and engaging with it, then that's the win. So I had to think about how I wanted to come back and what I wanted to say next time. And I had always been interested in world death cultures and how, other places in the world look at America and go, you, you do what with your bodies? You, you fill, fill them with chemicals and then display them with makeup? What exactly are you doing? <laughs> right. So I wanted to bring that. And then Americans look at places in, uh, around the world and go, oh, how about bar barbaric and savage? They're, they mummify their dead. Oh, how hideous. And so trying to find that place where we all think that what another country or another culture does is savage and disrespectful and somehow overlook our own shortcomings. And that's the, the place that I wanted to, to find and get into and, and traveling to tell these other stories really helped me do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's truly compelling writing both uh, the memoir and this new um, journey. So uh, congrats on the work and all of the success that you are presently having. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, we all we all work real hard, so <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so um, you know, you've got this fantastic YouTube uh, that's got like three hundred thousand 
um, subscribers. And of course, um, you know, you're an advocate for change. Um, so how do you, and, and obviously you're running a business at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how, <laughs> how do you getting kind of into your productivity as a writer? How do you, how do you make time to get the, get the words onto the page when you're working on, um, you know, the nonfiction stuff? That's an excellent question. I I have, so I run a nonprofit and the nonprofit has three arms. It has the Order of the Good Death, which is our, our public um, engagement, research, member, member-driven kind of central arm of it. Yeah. Um, and then there's Undertaking LA, which is a funeral home in Los Angeles. And then there's Death Salon, which is our public event series. And each of those is run by a woman who is not me. Um, so I'm kind of the evil puppet at the top of the chain. <laughs> and there's there's three women who are not me. So it's never my sole responsibility to make sure that everything happens in in either of these areas. And really, at this point, writing is, for me, is probably the thing that takes the most of my time. Or, or And most writers know this. It's not just the writing. It's the editing and then the promotion and the touring yeah. that really takes you know, is writing is probably one third of the time, really. And then the rest is is promotion and touring and and editing and and figuring out what everything is going to be and look like and and get out there in the world. So that that's what takes most of the time for me now. Um, But it's the thing for me that pays my personal bills and also um you know, really, I think gets the message out there in a deeper way. And the videos really help with that too. But it's the videos are only five, six minutes long. So you get into a subject and you may like me and you may say, oh, she's funny. She she delivers this information well. I'm interested (laughs) in in death. But it's really when you spend, you know, three evenings with a book that, that you can get into the world much deeper and get into this idea of, being less afraid of death and being engaged with death in a deeper way. So I think right now, I, th- I think the books are probably um, one of the best things that I have to offer. And um, like I said, what, what my, where my, all, all the other money that I make goes to the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the book is kind of, you know, for, for Caitlin Doty to <laughs> survive and live her life. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, 
a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So are you then scheduling chunks where you can, um, you know, kind of get into the, the writing flow where, um, you know, you can get away from the, the business side of stuff and just kind of get into the work? Yes and no. The first book was a lot more like that. The first book was, I didn't have the funeral home when that hadn't opened yet. When the first book came out, I was making videos much less frequently. And so the first book really was almost the idealized version of writing when you, when somebody, you know, it's kind of looking back on it. It seems, it seems like such a beautiful time, <laughs> 2012 and 2013, where I didn't have huge responsibilities anywhere else. And I had gotten a, you know, a decent advance to, or a livable advance to write my memoir and I got to, I went to various cabins around the country to, to spend two weeks at a time to write, to write this book. And it wasn't easy by any stretch, but it was, you know, yes, yeah, it's one of those things where you, it feels hard at the time. And then you look back and you're like, Oh, what a privileged bucolic <laughs> life you lived young Caitlin. And then since then there's been so many other arms of the nonprofit and, and projects that we've taken on. And it's really, really hard for me, especially since I had to take up so much time to actually travel and do the research for this new book yeah, right. as well, that it's hard for me to justify also, you know, going to Indonesia for two weeks or going to Japan for a week or however long, and then coming back and say, now I'm going to go to a cabin to to do the writing. It's like, no, you're in LA. You have to do all this work that you've been putting off by doing the travel for research. So this book was written much more, you know, at my desk, at the office or in my home office or on the planes between the countries or in the hotel room in the country where I was actually there um, observing these, these death rituals. So it, this one was, this one was certainly less, romantic and fun to write this one was much more like you know and i think that most from my understanding most writers find this that at a certain point it kind of becomes more business-like yeah it's no longer which which in some ways is good because it you know uh, not a lot of writing gets done for people when they over romanticize it and over romanticize themselves as writers um, and it's probably for someone like me, it's probably a good thing to, to see things in a more business-like fashion. And this is a, not, there's still a lot of passion behind it, but it's, I have to get her done. For sure. For sure. Um, do you have a, a, a most productive kind of time of day or, or, uh, hmm. I've really tried to change this in the last year. It used to be that I wouldn't come alive until the late night. So it wouldn't be until about nine or ten o'clock in the evening that I would really want to want to start writing, and and it would be you know kind of by candlelight in the in the hunched wee hours that I would get things <laughs> done. But 
again, when you run a business, that when writing is not all you do, um, you know, other people probably find this with children or um, me with various other funeral homes and other businesses, the world kind of runs from nine to five, yeah. um, especially living on the West Coast where the East Coast starts three hours earlier. So if I was waking up at 11 because I didn't go to bed until three or four, that meant that I wasn't, I was, by the time that I woke up at 11, so much of the world had already passed me by. And I had, I had this huge chunk of emails waiting for me and tasks waiting for me and phone calls waiting for me. And I had just passed me by. And so I really made an effort to, um, but this has really been in the last, um, maybe maybe eight months or so that I've made an effort to to start getting up a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. But that was really af- right after I finished From Here to Eternity. Hmm. So I wonder, I wonder what that's going to do. I wonder if I'm going to have to go back to that schedule or I wonder if I'm going to be able to be even more responsible by writing you know, in the afternoon. We'll see. We'll see. This is all. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I wish I've always wished I was one of those people who was like, well, I wake up at nine and I have a whiskey and sit at my typewriter <laughs> for three hours. And then I walk my walk my golden retriever through the woodland area by my home. Yeah. And then I come back and have a coffee. And, you know, I, but that's none of that. It's all just when I can do it. <laughs> it's all for chaos. Sure. I have no routine. Do you, um, have you ever run up against writer's block or anything, anything oh, similar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not one of those people who, I don't know, I, I, I don't even necessarily consider myself a writer. I only say that because I have friends who publish and are writers and are really writers, writers, people who have wanted to be a writer ever since they were little. They've always written whether or not they were being published or not. They are committed to the craft. They're committed to reading and supporting other writers. And they're just, yeah, truly writers, writers. And I think that those people are the ones that you really, you really think, okay, you, you can call yourself a writer. That's exactly who you are. But for me, I'd always, I'd always been excellent in, in English and I had always been a um, voracious reader and enjoyed all of these things, but I I didn't see myself as becoming a writer Mm -hmm. at all. And I've never, I don't remember the last time that I wrote for pleasure. That's just not really a thing that sometimes (laughs) I journal, but I just don't write for pleasure. But I'm one of those writers who their mission and their desire to do something so overwhelms them and becomes so important that you're willing to do what it takes to to do it. You know, I'm not a lot of the things I do. I don't particularly love or feel like I'm much of a natural at making videos either. And I don't feel like I'm a natural at writing, but this is how I get these things across mm-hmm. that I care about to, for reforming the funeral industry. So you got to get as good as you can at the mediums for the message. And, and writing is, is one of those. Um, I'm kind of ranting. I don't remember what the original question was at this point. <laughs> I just had asked was, uh, if, if you'd run up against any any oh, challenges. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the challenge, I, I guess that what I was going to say is that the challenge for me is that I don't um, necessarily see myself as a writer. So whereas another writer might have a skill set to say, all right, I'm just going to write it out, you know, or I'm going to, I know that I, this is what's going to happen. Um, 
I don't know that I necessarily have that, but at the same time, um, I think it does somewhat help me that I don't over identify with being a writer. Mm-hmm. I was talking about a little bit about that earlier that, that I'm sure that you have a lot of people on your, um, who listen to you or who are writers and, and suffer from over identification with themselves as a writer Sure. and what their output is or lack of output, or they, they want it so much that they can't even get started. And I do think it really helps me that I'm doing it in a more mission driven way rather than a craft driven way. Um, so even when it's a bad craft day and every sentence I come up with just sounds like, very basic bullshit. I can say, okay, but remember why we're writing this book. Remember the mission. Remember what we're trying to get across, and just plow through it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I have heard um, quite a few best-selling authors say something similar about uh, you know, kind of. I think it's something that a lot of writers run up against, and that that kind of imposter syndrome, like. Um, oh, sure. You know, but I think that's something that, that many, many people face, not just writers and many creatives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially women, too. Like, that has to be part of the conversation. But, you know, it's very hard, I think, for younger women. And I hate that I have this reaction, but sometimes I'll, I'll hear a younger woman or younger woman say, well, I'm a filmmaker or I'm a writer. And it's like, oh, really? Are you? And then I was then I go, wait a second. No, no, no. Don't have those thoughts because that's how you become that like everybody is is faking it till they make it at a certain point and if you make if you make films or you write that that's what you are and you get to identify as such um and the only the only thing the thing that gets me though is when people identify that way but aren't making the work you know they aren't actually putting it out there and they aren't um you know I i have a lot of friends who are incredible writers far better than i as, as craftsmen, a hundred percent. Um, but they have a hard time putting it out there and they have a hard time putting it out there in the world. And the number one thing that I learned about making things to go out in the world, whether it's anything from blogs to videos to entire, entire books or even tweets, you know, just anything that you're putting out there in the world, you can't be too precious about it because nothing will ever get done if you're precious about it. <laughs> right, nothing right. will ever get done. You will never, if you're going for perfection, you will never put a damn thing out into the world. And if you're good at it, and you're never going to get much better at it either, because part of what makes you better is constantly sending things out and taking stock of what is really resonating with people and what's falling flat. Yeah, well put. Um, okay, a couple quick ones. Uh, Mac or PC? Oh, Mac, for sure. And uh, are you a Scrivener user or are you a traditional <laughs> Microsoft Word user? <laughs> I'm, yeah, well, Microsoft Word, I tried to use Scrivener and it, I, I got about two hours in and just went, no, I can't figure <laughs> it out. I don't know. It's too much. But honestly, I will keep stuff. I am so, I will keep stuff in Google Docs. Like I will just write, but, but, what I think I want to do for the next book is really just invest in like a nice new Microsoft Word version mm. installed on my <laughs> I'm using like one that my friend illegally downloaded from the internet in like <laughs> 2006 or something. And it just, if you change the font, it crashes. And it's like, listen, if you're an actual writer, I think that you can have 
a nicer version of Microsoft Word. So you're right. This is inspiring me as I'm saying this. I'm going to buy one ASAP. You're entitled. Um, do you have a couple organizational hacks that keep you uh, keep you going? I know you. I mean, you're traveling. You're putting all of this, um, all of these different stories together. In addition to kind of telling the the, the larger story and the mission, how do you mm-hmm. how do you stay organized? I'm very analog, so I carry with me at all times a notebook and a date book, and I don't have a online calendar at all. I don't have an online to-do list at all. It's all analog, which is dangerous, of course, because <laughs> they can get lost. Sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm much more worried about things getting lost online, like in the ether somewhere, yeah. than I really am about my, my analog things, and I like making lists. I love crossing things off a list. That's my favorite thing in the world. Um, and it also helps that the people that I work with, um, whether it's my you know, editor with the books or the people that I work with at the nonprofit, they're all very organized. It's like a, it's like a great team of people. So I'm not surrounded. There's been times in my life where I've surround, been surrounded by people that it's like, does anybody know what they're doing at all? Um, but that's not now. Everybody's very on top of it. And it feels like we live in the same universe. And so it, things get done in a, in a very timely manner. Hmm. Interesting. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, okay, a couple creativity questions for you. Um, do you have a kind of a definition of creativity? I know a lot of what you do um, kind of uh, uh, runs up against not only creativity, but you know spirituality and and, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you're looking at different cultures, obviously you're, I mean, you must be inspired by some of these, um, disparate influences, yeah. but, but yeah. yeah, what keep, what, what, what kind of, uh, sparks your creative muse? I mean, my, my muse is death really in all, in all things that I do. My muse is death. I think that the idea, my personal, um, idea about life and human psychology is that every human knows whether it's forefront in their mind or more subconscious that they're going to die and that they only have a finite amount of time on this planet. And whether that, whether that means they want to start a podcast, whether that means they want to write a book, whether that means they want to have children, all of that, that drive to do that or that drive to create in any sense comes from the deadlines that that death imposes on us. So for me, I think it's actually really nice because I'm not only acknowledging that my creativity comes from 
the fact and reality of death, but I also create things about death. So it's all it's all coming from the same place for mm. me, and it can always go back to death as a consistent muse. And the nice thing about death is that it covers everything. It covers anthropology and psychology and and art and uh, just every area of life has influence in death or from death. And so it never gets bored. I never run out of things to talk about or engage with related to death. And so, yeah, I'm lucky to have that. And I'm not, I'm not much of a spiritual person. I'm really more, more secular, but I do think that it doesn't hurt to say, um, not a prayer, but a sort of like, Hey, death, help me out. You know, like let's not a totally personified thing, or I don't totally believe this, but just saying like, Hey, muse, like, let's let's get out the best information into the world today, especially when I'm writing. Um, mm. I think that's a nice little ritual that I do sometimes. Interesting. Um, yeah, you run. I mean, you definitely uh, reference a lot of great literature and art um, in your work. Do you have some favorite authors kind of sitting on your nightstand right now or, or some some that you want to uh, name check here? <laughs> yeah. So my favorite author of, uh, well, that's hard. I have a lot of, <laughs> that's like, oh, Sophie's choice. Yeah. Um, I, I love the work as far as actual work. I love, um, the, uh, anthropologist, cultural anthropologist, Ernest Becker, who wrote the denial of death, which was a, a really big influence on me. Um, and he has a way of really creating a connection and an explanation of death that mm-hmm. feels very, um, enlightening and eye-opening and that book will really change you if you haven't read it um i'm trying to think about authors that i read i don't read a ton of fiction i've been trying to read more um i just read the idiot by elise bataman and i thought it was incredible Mm. and it's one of those books that you read and you're like oh if all fiction was like this i would read fiction all the time (laughs) um but normally i read i read more more non- fiction and a lot of anthropology um a lot of a lot of you know what i I love like um adventure nonfiction as well i love stories of people who have gotten themselves in a pickle like they've tried to go to the north pole or they've tried to go to the top of everest Mm. or they've tried to you know go to the top of k2 and things have gone horribly horribly wrong and people are dying left and right how are they gonna get if it's like a really excellent (laughs) well-researched nonfiction account of that i just I love it. Nice. Nice. Um, do you have a best loved quote as many great authors do kind of floating over your oh. desk? Oh man, you would think I would, right? I need one. of those. <laughs> What would be mine? Huh? No, I feel like as soon as you said that, I was like, why don't I have one? God, I'm, I'm no, I'm no author at all. If I, if I don't have one of those nonsense, um, I don't know. Let me. What, maybe maybe your uh, your listeners could tweet at me or something. My <laughs> my new quote. Okay. My new inspirational quote. Um. All right. We will share the the Twitter handle here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at the end. So. Um. Okay. Just a couple fun ones before I let you go here. I know you are busy Great. and out on a tour. Um. If you could choose one author, uh, from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite spot. Where uh, who would you take, and where would you take them? 
Ooh. So I could think about this for days and come up with reasons for but the thing that just popped into my head because I'm in New England right now is Edgar Allan Poe. Ah. Because it's so there's so much mystery surrounding his death. We sort of still don't know why he died and the dilapidated circumstances he died under. And obviously he's a you know, weird macabre guy, which I would certainly enjoy. Um so I think I think him to get a little to get a little backstory to talk talk morbid and i think that would be fun nice nice uh do you collect any weird writers fetishes do you have uh old typewriters in your uh office oh oh no i don't i have a lot of you know what i really love i love the um the kind of uh vanitas memento mori tableau so Mm -hmm. i love old books and i do have a fair amount of of really old books because i think they're so aesthetically pleasing and i love the tableau of like a a small stack of old books with a skull sitting on top of them i have a (laughs) a couple of um they're they're not real schools they're like they're they're very they look very real but they're plaster Mm -hmm. um cast models from medical schools and such and so sitting on like a stack of old books a skull sitting on top of it and like a quill or like a basket of fruit or something that looks (laughs) like this this 17th century tableau of like the creative you know work but remind yourself that death is is close nice nice I will mention the book again, From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find a Good Death. The New York Times bestselling um, book is Caitlin Doty has set out to discover how the, how other cultures care for the dead. And it is an immersive global journey that introduces compelling, powerful rituals, almost entirely unknown in America. Um, it's a fantastic read, a lot of fun um, and very informative. And it'll change your mind about some things, I believe. And that's the uh, the idea, right, Caitlin? That's exactly the idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her YouTube channel is Order of the Good Death. Um, you can find her uh, on her website, obviously, CaitlinDoty.com. And um, on Twitter, at The Good Death, I believe. Mm-hmm. Where you will tweet me my inspirational quote. <laughs> that's right. That will go over my death. We're going to tweet her favorite inspirational quotes uh and uh she will ponder and probably uh Mm -hmm, exactly let us know if she likes any of them all right caitlin thank you so much um and best of luck with the rest of your book tour uh come back and see us again when you have another uh project in the hopper will do will do thanks so much for joining me on another tour of the writer's process if you enjoy the writer files podcast please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.